Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. One of the things that we are called to do by God's holy word is to love those who are outcasts, to remember the oppressed and the downtrodden. And I'm sure there are times in each one of our lives where we have done this, and there's times where we have failed to do this as we ought to do. I'm guessing that these successes and these failures are embedded in our minds, and we have strong emotion connected to them. When we stand up for someone who can't stand up for themselves, or we make someone welcome who others are not welcoming to, we feel a good and healthy sense of pride that we've done the right thing, and we feel as though we have treated someone as we would want to be treated. But if we failed in doing this, the emotions are very strong as well. You may have vivid images of that moment in your mind and a a feeling of shame for having failed to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we land in the middle section of Luke chapter 5 this morning, we find that Jesus is welcoming to those who are the outcasts and those who are the downtrodden of his society. And we see that he uses these opportunities to lift these people out of their situations and to bring them hope. And what Jesus does for them is miraculous. And as I drew out last week with the miraculous catch of fish, the power that Jesus shows in these things is about more than just the power that he is able to display. As we see in the text of Luke, Jesus healing many people. He's doing this. But there are certain stories that that Luke makes sure to tell us because these stories help us to better understand the story that he wants us to know about who Jesus is. And we're going to see today that these miracles not only tell us about the authority of Jesus to teach, but they also teach us something about ourselves and about the work that Jesus has come to accomplish. And so, as you most likely have predicted, before we settle into this passage, we're going to have three points. So, let's do that to help us navigate our way through the text and apply it to our lives today. So, the first thing that we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus cleanses a leper. As we're going to see, leprosy was a terrible disease in their day, and it meant that the infected person was an outcast. But Jesus has power over that which infects the man, and Jesus makes him clean. Our second point is that Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. Now, this is an interesting development. You and I have been following the story of Jesus through the book of Luke, and we know who Jesus is. But we haven't seen him make a claim like this yet. While Jesus isn't coming out and telling the people, that he's the Messiah and that, that he's God, in the words that he speaks and the things that he does, he is making his divine nature and his mission very apparent. And then thirdly, we're going to see that Jesus proves he has the authority to forgive sins by causing this paralytic man to walk. As we've been moving through the book of Luke, I've been saying that Luke tells stories for a reason and that Jesus performs miracles for a reason. We're meant to understand that because Jesus has the power to heal a man who cannot walk, he also has the power to forgive sins. 
And so as we head into our first point and land in Luke 5, 12 through 15, it's important that we remember where we've been. Because Luke is telling us the story of Jesus, and he's made sure that we know that he is appointed by God to be the Messiah. We see that from his birth and from his early years, and and now we are seeing this truth spelled out for us in his early ministry. So far, we haven't seen Jesus teach all that much, have we? Even when we get stories about Jesus' teaching, we don't get much detail on what he was saying, right? Instead, we're seeing reasons that we should believe who Jesus is and reasons we should trust what he has to say. Just last week, we saw the calling of the disciples, and while we had this really cool scene of Jesus getting separation from the crowd by going out on the lake in a boat, we don't get any record of what Jesus was saying. We don't know what he was teaching there. Instead, we see the miracle that Jesus performs and how his disciples respond. And so in our passage today, we have the same basic thing. It's about more of what Jesus is doing and how he has the authority to do it and what is happening while he is out and about and preaching. We don't get much of the preaching itself. Luke wants us to be sure about who Jesus is. That's important. He wants us to understand who he is. And the stories that he's telling are confirming for us the identity of Jesus. He's the Messiah. And so here in verses 12 through 15, we get an interesting story. And it's about an interaction with a leper. And as this passage starts out, we see that Luke isn't too concerned about our having a lot of details about what's happening next, right? We have no idea how long it's been since the miraculous catch of fish and the calling of the disciples. In fact, Luke just tells us that Jesus was in one of the cities, What matters right now for Luke is who is coming to see Jesus. That's what he wants us to know. It's a man who has leprosy. In fact, Luke tells us that he's full of leprosy. Now, in our time, through Scripture together, we have encountered people with leprosy before. So maybe you'll remember that I've said that in our time, leprosy isn't a big deal. It's still out there, but it's very treatable. We have medicine and treatments that have made it so that this disease isn't even something we talk about anymore. But as I mentioned, with the healing of Simon's Simon's mother-in-law a few weeks ago, the things that we don't worry about now, they were life-threatening in the first century. Untreated, leprosy is a terrible disease, and it's highly contagious. There were many different skin diseases that would have fallen under the category of leprosy in this time. Many of them were mild, But there were also some extreme forms of leprosy. In the worst kinds, it was also a neurological disorder that would numb the senses. And so you would have no pain. Now that doesn't sound like necessarily a bad thing, no pain. But that was terrible because if you think about it, here you have a skin disease and you can't feel pain. And this would result in you picking at it and and scratching it away and it would cause people to have disfigured bodies because they couldn't feel the pain while they were scratching. Gross, I know, but it lets you know how terrible this disease was. And because of the severity of these skin diseases, the social rules and the Old Testament laws had people who had the disease separated from the general population. They had to be isolated. There was no cure, and so there were places set apart for lepers to live together. 
And in the Old Testament law, they had to wear torn clothes, they had to let their hair hang loose, and they had to walk around telling people that they were unclean. As long as you had this disease, you were outside the community. You were an outcast. Imagine how that would have felt. Not only are you a social outcast, but an important part of this was that you were ritually unclean. You could not participate in any way in the religious life of your community. Now we can try to imagine what that would feel like, but we can't understand the depth of this for a first century person. This whole thing, being sick, being separated from people, and ritually unclean is absolutely awful. And so we're meant to be a little thrown off here by the fact that this man, who is full of leprosy, comes up to Jesus. He isn't supposed to be there. And when it says that he's full of leprosy, the idea being expressed is that he has more than just a few skin flecks or dandruff or something, right? He is serious. And he comes up to Jesus. And the question we are meant to be asking as we read this is, what is this guy doing? He isn't allowed to be near people. He's been banished for a very good reason. But here he is. And we see that he has heard about who Jesus is. And he has great faith that Jesus is able to heal. And we see his faith in his words. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now he's clearly heard about Jesus and what he can do. And he understands that this is his only hope. And now if, if we were meant to feel a little shocked and thrown off by the fact this, that this man comes up to Jesus with leprosy, we're meant to be just as shocked, if not more so, at what Jesus does here. And you can maybe see it here as you look at the text. Jesus touches him. Now this is Jesus. Remember, he has power that we can't even imagine. We've seen that so far in Luke. He's casting out demons. He's causing fish to end up in nets. And, and Jesus didn't jump in the lake and shoo them all in. He didn't need to touch the fish. We see him speaking, and miracles happen. He has power that we can't even imagine. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't need to touch to heal, but he does anyway. It's not only unexpected, it's against what you're supposed to do. You don't touch a leper. He touches this man. He's an outcast for a good reason. He's, he's sick, but Jesus touches him. He loves him. And he touches him and says, I will be clean. And we know what happens. Immediately, the leprosy leaves him. Notice that he isn't given some creams and some lotions and said, stay away from people for a while. This will clear up after a while. It is immediate. Even this skin disease that renders this man unclean is subject to the power of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Don't tell anyone. Just go to the priest and make an offering for being cleansed, and, and then you can have your life back. You see, the priest's were the ones who could verify that the man had been cured, and then he could be let back into the community, and he would no longer be ritually unclean. He could be back in a part of their religious expression, their religious experience. And so this whole thing is amazing. The man is healed. He is to be welcomed back into the community of faith, and yet Jesus doesn't want any credit, because Jesus doesn't want there to be confusion about his identity and about his mission, and so he encourages the man to keep quiet. But yet we know what happens you can't keep quiet when something this amazing happens. 
And so we read that the reports of him continued to spread, and crowds came to hear him and to be healed. So that leads us to the scenario that Luke gives us in our second point today, as we look at verses 17 through 21. While Jesus is out and about teaching again, another opportunity to heal arises. Once again, we don't get the sense from Luke here that this is the next thing. It's a story that Luke is telling us for a reason to make his point. He doesn't give us the impression that this is chronologically the next thing that Jesus does. But instead, we're meant to feel that this event in the life of Jesus is driving home the point that he's making about the identity of Jesus. So this time, instead of having someone who is unclean come to him unexpectedly and surprise us, right? Who is he amongst here? We have those in his presence, those who are obsessed with being ritually clean. They're obsessed with being pure. It's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, there were many Pharisees in this time, and they they saw themselves as being separated, and they had a great desire to serve God. But notice the contrast that we have in the text here between these two stories. In the previous verses, we saw someone separated because of their being ritually unclean. And now we have people who present themselves as being separate and better because they believe that they are more ritually clean than everybody else. Notice the contrast. This is important to note because as we see, the one who is unclean, the one who has this disease, he's the one who has faith. He's the one who has faith. And those who believe they've got it all figured out, they're ritually clean, They doubt Jesus. And so we see here that people have come from all around. And we also read that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And so these men bring another man who's paralyzed to Jesus. But they couldn't get to Jesus. He's so popular, they can't get to him. There are just so many people that they have to find a creative path. So in those days, the the roof of most buildings, they were flat. And so there were stairs to the roof on the outside of the building. Now, my guess is that the stairs were probably there because they always had to fix the roof because it was flat, kind of a, you know, problem that creates itself, and so I don't know. But the men go up, and they remove the roof tiles and lower this man down, and Jesus sees their faith, and he tells the man that his sins are forgiven. Now, you can imagine the stink that this would create in the Pharisees and in the teachers of the law. There's been no sacrifice There hasn't been any fulfillment of a ritual that would make this man forgiven. How dare Jesus speak this way? Who does he think he is? God? Well, there are several things that we see in this interaction that I want to touch on very quickly. The first thing that I want us to draw out is that Jesus clearly has a completely different idea of what the most important thing that this man needs is. You look at this guy. You see him, and what do you and I think? It's so sad that this guy can't walk. And his friends obviously thought the same thing because they lowered him through a roof, and I doubt their intention in lowering him through the roof was hoping to hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. They wanted this man to walk. But what was his bigger issue? His ability to walk or his status as a sinner who's in rebellion to God? And we so easily forget this fact. We want to help people, and that's good, and that's a worthwhile goal. 
But as believers, if we're not addressing the spiritual condition of people along with their physical condition, we're missing the true healing that Jesus offers. And secondly, we have to make sure that we get what Jesus is doing here in this story. The Pharisees understand it, but in our day, we might miss it. Because people make statements that Jesus never claimed to be God, and so this understanding that you and I have of the Trinity and and Jesus as God the Son doesn't have root in Scripture. Now, while Jesus did never say three specific words, I am God, his statements and his actions and his claims make it very clear that that is who he is. Like I said, the Pharisees who opposed him, they got it. And so we have to make sure that we don't miss the power of these statements that Jesus is making. They're more than just passing words. They're a part of Jesus claiming to be divine. And as I said, the Pharisees got it. You can see it in their clear statements. And as you've heard me say so many times, the things that Jesus does are about more than just making people walk Or they're more about making the deaf hear and making the blind see. Those miracles are about so much more. This miracle is showing something about Jesus here as this man gets up to walk. And we're going to see that this idea that he is divine is going to be proven as we move to the end of this passage and to our third point. We see Luke letting us know that Jesus has supernatural abilities. As we see that Jesus perceives their thoughts. Notice, it doesn't say he overheard them or he guessed. He perceives their thoughts, and he calls their bluff. He's going to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins by proving that he's divine. And you have to love the way that Jesus spins this whole thing towards them, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. Well, this is a trap, right? Jesus has them right where he wants them. There's no answer they can give because if he has the authority to forgive sins, he is God and he can make the man walk. And if he can say, rise and walk, and it happens, he has the authority to forgive sins because he's divine. And we see that Jesus shows his authority to forgive sins in this power to heal. Now there is an important phrase in here that I need to point out. We've seen it before, but I'm guessing that you might need a quick refresher on what it means. And that phrase here is, son of man. That phrase is easy for us to not catch the biblical meaning of because if you were just to hear it, you would think it could apply to anyone. After all, roughly half of us in this room are the son of a man, right? But when it refers to Jesus, Jesus is using this term in a different way. What we're meant to understand is that he is, yes, an actual human. He is a son of man. But in the Old Testament, this was a messianic term. And we're going to see Jesus refer to himself as the son of man many times. That's why I wanted to point it out here. This is not just saying that Jesus is human. It's going back. It's pointing to the the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why we capitalize it in our English versions. And so, once again, those who criticize the Bible will say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Well, with this statement here, calling himself the Son of Man, yes, he does claim to be the Messiah. Very clearly, this is a messianic term. And so with this statement, he's not only making a claim to be divine, but also making sure that we understand that he is the Messiah. 
And so he tells the man to rise up, pick up his bed, and go home. Again, you have to love the way Jesus heals people. It's just awesome. He doesn't say, rise up and wobble around like a newborn horse and get your legs under you, and after a few minutes, then see if you can make your way home. We'll have somebody carry your mat, right? And then why don't you go to rehab for a few weeks, get your legs under you before you you go try to find a job. That's not what he does. The healing of Jesus is always absolute. It isn't a process. When Jesus heals, he heals. He not only heals, but the expectation is that they are able to fit right into the mainstream of life right away. Rise and walk, pick up your bed, and go, right? And that's what happens. He gets up. He picks up his mat. He goes home. But notice the other important detail that Luke gives us here. He glorifies God. Of course he does. Of course he does. That's what we're meant to understand from Luke. Of course he's going to praise God. You don't rise and walk after being lame and not give glory to God. And we see that the people around them understood what they saw, and they glorified God as well because they saw extraordinary things. And yes, they did see extraordinary things. They saw a man who was lame get up and walk. That isn't normal. It's extraordinary And that's becoming the norm that we're meant to see from the stories that we're reading here in Luke about the ministry of Jesus. He is extraordinary. He is more than a wise man walking around the countryside giving words of wisdom. He is more than a well-read rabbi teaching people in the synagogues. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Son of Man. He is the seed of the woman come to crush the work of the devil And he's come to save the people of God from their deepest problem. Not the fact that they're blind, that they're deaf, that they're lame. No, he's come to save them from their sin and from their unbelief. You see, while on the surface this story doesn't seem to be about you and me, it is about you and me. You might be thinking, I'm not a leper and I'm not paralyzed. Oh, but in your sin and in your unbelief you are. I am. Apart from Christ, you were an enemy of God, dead in trespasses and sins. You were just as unclean as any leper who needed to be healed. And in your rebellion against God, you were lame. You were unable to walk in newness of life. But in Christ, you have not only been made clean, but you are able to rise and walk daily to the glory of God. That is the message that we proclaim and that is the truth that we cling so tightly to. And that's the reason that Luke tells us these stories from the ministry of Jesus to show us what Jesus has ultimately come to do. And because this story is not only about a leper and because it's not only about a paralyzed man in the Middle East in the first century, you and I know that we can draw application from this passage for ourselves today. So the first thing that I want us to walk away from here with today is an attitude of servanthood and compassion to the outcast and the downtrodden. Yes, we have seen that the story is about more than that. It's more than being about Jesus' example of loving the outcast. It is about more than that. But it is very deeply 
about how Jesus had compassion on those in his society who were forgotten and downtrodden. And we don't have compassion, and, and we need to remember that this isn't something that we do. We don't have compassion on the downtrodden and the outcast to score points with God. That's, that's not why we do it. We don't do it because we think God is going to reward us for it. Instead, this is all rooted in the fact that we love the forgotten and the downtrodden because in our sin, we were forgotten and downtrodden and God remembered us and he brought us to life in the Lord Jesus. And so as we walk in the newness of life, you and I love our neighbor because God in Christ has first loved us. We love the outcasts because God has brought us in. He's made us clean. He's helped us to walk in newness of life. And so we love those who are downtrodden. The second application for us is that we glorify God. Our response to what God has done for us is not just serving the outcast and the downtrodden. Our response is to give glory to God for all that we have and all that we are. We understand how that guy who was healed went home glorifying God. How amazing was that? And we can understand how the the people who saw it were amazed and glorified God. We get that. We can see that. It's obvious. But you and I have been rescued from far more than being a beggar on a mat along the roadside. We've been rescued from sin, death, hell, and the devil. We have been raised to newness of life with the even greater promise of being raised to eternal life. The wrath that we deserve for our sin was poured out on Christ and we receive his perfect righteousness. These are extraordinary things, amazing things. And so may you and I rise and walk from here today glorifying God for the great mercy and love that he has bestowed upon us in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.